Welcome, Men's Breakfast. Um, how many of you were here last time my dad spoke here? Show of hands. Just want to see anyone was here last time? Okay, so this will be a reminder for some of you. For some of you, will be new. If you remember, last time my dad spoke here, he uh, revealed an interesting fact about himself and proved his loyalty in one fell swoop by admitting that he was a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. For those of you that aren't aware, they're one of the worst teams in NFL history and have been for a really long time, and it proves he's a loyal person. Um, now, what does that make of his son, who's also a diehard Cleveland Browns fan? Because there's a big difference between me and my dad. My dad actually remembers a time when they were good. He tells me stories about the Mack brothers, Bernie Kosar, you know, and the times when they went to the playoffs and almost went to the Super Bowl. But for me, my entire living memory is Sunday eating good food and watching the Browns just suck and just play really bad. It's the point where I I asked my dad and brother, I said, if they get good, what will we do? What will we talk about? I don't know how to commentate on a good football game anymore, you know, so... Uh, so I can't talk about Bernie Kosar, but I can talk about my dad. And the thing I want to say is, as great of a speaker and a teacher that he is, he's even better off the stage. If any of you have ever gotten the chance to have an interaction with him, uh, the way he treats individuals and people is incredible. And the way he's treated me, my brother, my sister, and my mom is incredible, amazing. His greatest ministry, without a doubt, has been inside of our home. And it's made such an impact on, on my life. Uh, during so much of, of my childhood, he was refing or umpiring so many nights a week on the weekends, making enough money for us to go to Lincoln, which I love getting to do. Uh, the way that he led spiritually, it made me want to be a part of church, made me want to love God. Uh, the way that he led was so practical, uh, and the things that he did, just, just incredible. I would not be where I am today without him, and now getting to be married, uh, when I think about talking to Shan, why, why are things actually going smoothly in our marriage when like, it's not really a normal thing to happen? You know? And I, so much of that goes to just watching my dad and mom, just getting to watch him. It wasn't even him directly teaching all the time, just watching him. So getting to watch him the way he, the way he lives was one of, the, one of the greatest examples that I've ever had. So I'm, I'm excited, too, to get to listen to him, and I uh, hope you guys are, too. So, Dad? Thank you. Hey, stay up here. Have a seat keep that. Good morning, everybody. We didn't plan this. I didn't know he was going to introduce me. <laughs> um, describe, if you can remember, how did I spiritually lead in the home? What did it look like? Well, um, Johnny made a joke about not sending you a, d- a daily devotional, Right. And that's, and that's not really not what we did at home. You know, I, I had other friends I heard, you know, I'm not saying it's bad to do that, but we, we didn't really do devotional kind of stuff. It was just, it's kind of, if something came up, we just talked about it. If there was something maybe on in the news, we would just talk about it. If there was something that happened at school, we'd talk about it. it. Spirituality never felt contrived and forced, never felt like it was just trying to make it fit. It was something where, um, as something that we were interested came up in or something happened in an event, then we would, we would talk about it, and maybe as a family or just as a group. It, it just reminded me of that Deuteronomy, just talk about it on the way, at home, when you're sitting, when you're going, it just as it came up. I never wanted our home to feel religious. 
There was, Matthew's right, there was never a forced thing. I would input the gospel through Judge Judy. (laughs) We're hanging out after school, and we're watching Judge Judy. I'm like, hey, kids, Proverbs says this. If they knew that, they wouldn't be having it on TV looking stupid. That was devotions for us. We didn't have regular times where it was like, okay, it's time for a Jesus talk. And here's why. I saw myself as representing Jesus in the home. What they needed to sense of Jesus was the nature of Jesus through me. Not sitting down and say, okay, here's what Jesus says. One of the best mottos of parenting, there's a psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Before our kids hear anything from us about how they should live in Christ, they need to see us live in Christ. That is the main thing they need to see all the way through. They taste your life. Your character, the character of Christ in you, becomes the air that they breathe. It becomes the scent in your home. And when they know that you're about God and they like what you are as a person, they follow you to church. You don't drag them to church. Mm. When your kids get older, 12, 13, 14, they make their own decision to walk with Christ. And you don't spend those years, when, when your kid's a teenager, your talking from your mouth does not mean a whole lot. Your talking from your life means everything. Mm. I want to bring Mark Markwin up here. Yeah, let's switch off. <clears throat> no, Mark, you didn't plan on coming up here, but, but I, want to, I want to talk to you personally. Because I found myself in getting ready to talk about this, that I was getting too much theory. And the only thing that needs to happen in the next 20 minutes is helping real men in the real trenches of life. And so I want you to ask me any question that comes to your heart. And, but I'm not going to, I'll lead you. Don't think too hard. Uh, there is, listen, there is no theories about family life and marriage and parenting. There's no theories that work outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A kingdom household There's two things you got to develop in your home. The culture of the kingdom and spiritual relationships with your family. Now make sure I talk about what a spiritual relationship is with your family. Those two things you have to develop. But let's first of all begin with the foundation of manhood. And that is that men at different intervals in our life, we come to a place where we think, you know what, I'm the problem. This, for people like you and people like me who have a conscience, life gets scattered, things get tough, things go wrong, and we get backed into this corner and we get this mindset that says, I'm the problem. And that mindset 
brings a man to his knees and makes him fruitless and ineffective. Because here's what that mindset does. It takes us to a place of shame where we hide our life, where we get no help, or it takes us to a place of guilt where we try to atone for ourselves, improve something to the world, and we become a pleaser of people instead of a leader of people, and that's horrible in the home. I've talked to men who, early in their marriage, they made a mistake, and 20 years later, they're still just trying to atone for it. For all of us as men, not just at initial salvation, but at different intervals in our life, we get to a place where we're just like, I'm the problem. And the devil comes in to condemn you and to accuse you. Yes, you are the problem. And it's at those moments where we have to come to a place of not shame or guilt, but a place of surrender. Just surrender. Mm. The place of surrender is the place of real salvation. The place of surrender is the place of real help. It's the place of real healing. And I think it's the greatest challenge of every man. I deal with guys on a regular basis that would rather be hidden in shame or stuck in guilt. But the surrendered man is just like... And for we as Christians, shame and guilt can be a huge thing in our life because our conscience is so developed. Every time your conscience... Gets, gets, gets touched by, by the feeling of, you know what, I'm not where I should be. The devil wants to come in and, and just plow you over and say, yep, you are not getting it right. And the first thing I want to say to any dad, that this parenting and, and being a husband is not easy. And there are many opportunities for you to feel like, I'm not getting this. And you have to be sure to not go to a place of shame or guilt, but go to a place of surrender. We like to get excited about being the, the seed of Abraham. And there's songs about it. I'm blessed of God. But the reality is, as men, we also walk the path of Abraham. And the path of Abraham is that we as men realize that our life carries a lot of weight in the lives of people. And we want to be significant. We want our life to really make a difference, certainly for our own wife and kids. And we carry that heavy weight with us. That's why it's always so easy to feel like a failure. It's because you care so much and you want to make a difference. But the way we make a difference is being surrendered. Abraham learned this the hard way. God called him to this huge legacy that a nation would come from his offspring and that he was going to be so blessed that the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And yet everything hinged upon his relationship with his wife and the bearing of a child. And year after year after year, the results were not there. And that certainly happens when you're raising kids in a home. Year after year, you're like, I don't, I'm not seeing the results. 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 I saw a young man the other day. 
and I saw, I, I, I hadn't seen him in a year, and I saw him a year later, and I saw all this amazing growth that's happened in his life. But then I heard how his parents were talking to him, and they were clearly so close that they weren't seeing it. And I could hear in their voice their frustration with their kid. I could see it in their eyes that he wasn't enough, that he wasn't moving fast enough, he wasn't going far enough. They wanted more and there was that pressure. And if only they could just step back and see that this kid's moving along just fine. A surrendered man realizes that the results of his life are not up to him. Your kids, it's not up to you. You're not in charge of the results. Just surrender that. It's not up to you. And the more you want it to be up to you, you'll get in the way. Mm. Abraham learned the hard way. Later in Abraham's life, he's 99. And God reminds him of this promise and says, here's the covenant, Abraham. Here's what I'm going to do. And then at 99, God says to Abraham, now here's what you're going to do. You're going to get circumcised. Now that's the path of Abraham. Abraham's like, God, that's my thing. He's thinking of his entire legacy, and it hinges on his thing. And God's like, well, how's it worked out for you so far? Mm-hmm. Surrendered men are willing to sacrifice anything. I'm sure he went to Sarah. I was like, Sarah, I can't believe what God's, this is ridiculous. She's probably like, can't hurt. <laughs> can't hurt. Mm-hmm. What do you want to ask me? <laughs> While you're thinking, Let's get some examples of surrendered men in this room. There's a man named Joel in here somewhere. I talked to him recently, and Joel always wanted to build a house, he and his wife. But they were always too busy building a family. Joel and his wife have always been fashioning jewelry their adult lives. He's a surrendered man. His priorities were in place. He might build a house now, but when he had kids, he was too busy building a family. And the best jewelry he and his wife will ever be a part in fashioning are his two sons. There's a man in this room named Johnny. He's built a business. What's the mission of his business? To cause other people's dreams to come true. The surrendered man realizes we're blessed to be a blessing. There's a young man in here named Gabe. 
I think he's 17 years old. I taught him a couple years in school. I watched him for about three years walk the halls of school with all the enormity of peer pressure when everyone's just kind of looking out for themselves. That's just kind of the teenage life, look out for me. By the way, the reason kids do that is not because they're really that egotistical. It's because they're just so afraid. They're not secure yet. So when your kids are looking out for themselves, it's not because they're just that root of a human. They're just, they need you to help them gain the nature and strength of Christ in their spirit. But I watched this young man throughout those most difficult times in high school never chase after popularity, never chase after attention, and always look out for the person next to him. That's a surrendered man. Remember the day he came to my desk after class and he said, hey, so-and-so needs some shoes. What are we going to do about that? Mm. It's a man in here named John. Accomplished lawyer in Tulsa. But it's not enough. It's not enough for him. And so he takes his lunch hour and he just volunteers his time to men to help them find their next place in life. That's a surrendered man. Is Ryan here today? Ryan's one of my favorite new people. He started coming to church about six months ago. He and his fiance realized our life has got to change. Is Ryan here? Yeah, one of my favorite new people. He and his fiance, we met them at Next Move, and they just boldly told their story. We've been a train wreck, and it's time for us to get it right. And they didn't tell their story with shame and guilt. They told their story with with hope and faith and belief that it's time to get this right before God. He told me how he's turned down jobs that would pay more in order to get a job that helps him with his walk with God. That's a surrendered man. Guys, there's nothing you're going to do with your wife and kids that does not first of all begin with being a surrendered man. What do you want to ask me? You know, I don't know if it's going to stay on the line of what you originally told me to ask you. Ask whatever you want. And I don't know if it's more of a statement than a question, but, um, you know, when Matthew was speaking, it hit me hard about that these kids are watching. Um, I have an eight-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old, and my five-year-old... He's a strong-willed child. I mean, we're, we're having some problems in school. So um, part of me is like, <laughs> he's five to the school. And another part of me is like, but he knows how to obey. He knows the difference. And he's got a teacher that is so sweet, and I know she loves him. We love him. But it is a constant battle with this little guy about surrendering, about being obedient. Um, I can see that he has a problem with authority. I can see it a mile away. And I see his, I see that edge, that problem with authority. I mean, that's me. I see that. And it draws friction in our house the I mean are probably to be vulnerable you know are probably 
our, our number one battle in our house is uh, parenting strategies or agreements. And, you know, I'm over the top aggressive and I feel, you know, my wife is, I mean, she's awesome, but I feel like, well, okay, you're being naive right now. Are you kidding me? Are you letting him get away with that? Are you, I mean, he's working you over right now. See this? My, and, uh, you know, what happens is I feel that there's moments that I walk away of like, I'm the king of the castle here, and you're going to do what I say, and at the end of the day, it does work out in my way of, okay, I got the house in order, I got these kids calmed down, everything's in order, and they're in the rooms, and they're quiet, but then I turn around, and well, is this really peaceful, even though I got it quiet in here, and even though these boys got disciplined? And hopefully this took a burden off my wife. But, gosh, they just watched me possibly become a monster yeah. to them and to their mother, my wife. And I do get, like, is my son's going to say what Matthew said one day? Like, oh, I watched my dad. Or are they going to be, you know, my dad got things cleaned up around the house, but he was an aggressive son of a gun. And he was just a bulldog. Mm-hmm. And so... That's a that's okay, a more so, of a statement than the question is like. I don't know. I, okay. I think I know the answers, but I do not execute enough of. Let's talk about this in the bedroom real quick. Like, this is happening right here in front of everybody in the living room, in the kitchen. Dad's the boss, and uh, and I believe that's wrong. A surrendered man does not have power over people; they empower people. A surrendered man empowers people. We don't go see what we can do. We go do what we can help someone else do. Mm. First thing I would say is, your, your kid is not a problem. Your marriage might be, and you might be, but your kid's not a problem. Aren't you glad that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved? When you are Jesus in your home, you don't see your kids as your problem. You see yourself as being part of their solution. You are seeing your kids so well. But what they don't need is your power. They don't need your control. They don't need you to get the home under your, they need the Christ-like nature to be alive in you, to be feeding their spirits. Your kid's probably doing great. Do you ever problem, you ever have trouble with surrender? Yes. <laughs> so why wouldn't a five-year-old have trouble with surrender? You ever have trouble with authority? Let me tell you, a stubborn child, I'll put this one up against anybody with stubbornness. <laughs> but I tell you, it wasn't my power that changed him. The reason it's so imperative that we have the nature of Christ in us is because if we become like Christ in our home, we usher in the power of God in our home. We don't control the family. We empower the family. The love of God through us empowers the family.
I tell you, you got to have culture and relationship in your home. The key to culture in your home is, first of all, being a surrendered man. That you don't walk in your home and do that with fleshly mindsets, but spiritual mindsets. The second key to your, to your culture in your home is the relationship you have with your spouse. If you care a little bit about your kids at all, get it right with your spouse. Because your relationship with your spouse is a huge part of the culture of your home. Your relationship is like the ground in which they're growing in. Your relationship establishes the culture and the air of how we treat each other, and it's the air that they breathe. Marriage is difficult, guys. It is extremely rewarding and extremely empowering and fulfilling, but too often as men, we struggle in marriage, and then we just kind of just leave it how it is. Well, this is how marriage is. No, it's not. Marriage in Christ is an empowering, fulfilling, life-giving thing, and your kids need to breathe in the air of a life-giving marriage that you and your spouse have. If you love your kids, lay down your life for your wife, first of all. It'll empower your entire home. Anything else you want to ask? Nope. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I guess I'm supposed to be done. And I, I just want to finish. The model for what we do in our homes is to be what Christ did for the church. So when you think about anything Jesus did for people, that's what we do in our home. Think about this. How, do you, how, does, how does the Lord make you feel? What words would you use how the Lord makes you feel? How does church make you feel? Accepted? Forgiven? Loved? Empowered? Now, how do you make your kids feel? How do your kids feel around you? Before they can know the kingdom, they've got to taste the kingdom. And they taste it through relationship with you. And the way we have relationship with our family is by simply being the person Christ was to the church. Here's one example. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come here for a second, Matthew. I need someone about your height. Is there a fifth grader in the room? Sorry. I, I, anybody? Anybody step up here? Anybody? I need someone. Can you step up here, would you? You know what this is, guys? This is a yoke. And they use this to force oxen to go in a certain direction, force them to stay together. Now this thing, if you were living your life like this, would not feel very good. You would not enjoy this experience. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So follow this example. How do your kids feel about how you rule them? How does it make them feel? Because here's how Jesus makes you feel. Stay right there, guys. This is the yoke the Lord has on us. These arms 
they guide, they protect, they lead, and they love. This is a whole different feel. Thanks, guys.